Hey y'all, you're listening to Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies, the DSM podcast. We help make mental health more comfortable by using Black movies and shows we know and love and culture to remove stigma. So join our convo with your hosts, Courtney Copeland, licensed mental health counselor. And Dr. B, licensed professional counselor. rock bye baby. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites. Um, <laughs> hello, everybody. This episode, we are going to be talking about the 1991 action crime film, New Jack City. And we are joined by a very special guest. I'm excited. I am too. I'm so excited to have the beautiful, wonderful Jessica Love Jordan with us. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor. She's also a certified alcohol drug uh, counselor. And she also has her master's in health science. And not to add this extra plug because it's not necessary. She's also a former doctoral student of mine. And she's one of my favorites. I can Aww. say that now. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you, Jessica. Um. Well, I think you kind of hit everything on the head. So I um, practice as a licensed clinical professional counselor. I actually have the privilege of Working at a practice, Cultivate Your Essence, that specializes in working specifically with Black and women of color. Um, beyond that, I teach full-time at Governor State University in their Addiction Studies program. And if that wasn't enough, I have a consulting business that I'm kind of getting started, working specifically with like primary care, uh, medical settings, and getting them more equipped to work with clients who have mental health and substance use issues. She said she's a busy woman. Okay, <laughs> get into it. <laughs> well, I'm so happy you took some time to hang out with us today and to talk about this movie. I can't wait to hear what you got to say. <laughs> I have a question. So what is, starting right off, what is your most memorable quote or favorite quote from New Jack City? Mm. Wait, you kind of opened up mine. Because I was, <laughs> said, as soon as I heard New Jack City, I'm like, rock a bye, baby. And then I had to think, I'm like, that is New Jack City, right? <laughs> and uh, that's probably the top one. That's the one I had written down, at least. Okay, so my favorite, and Courtney says it. Sit your $5 ass down before I make change. That is like perfect. because, And then I think when it was Courtney's favorite, because we did the <laughs> Martin episode. <laughs> and when he was uh he was talking about how his what his stereo got stolen mm-hmm. yeah and told, mm-hmm, and told Cole to sit his five dollar ass down before he make change it was perfect so that was that was one inappropriately though the one that stood out to me this time watching this movie I think was, I know what it is I want to shoot you so bad my dick's hard <laughs> I was going to guess that one. <laughs> I said, that's it. I don't know why. Because I'm vulgar. That's what it is. It was one I of my hate favorites. it, but I'm like, I don't know if I can say that. You sure can. Feel free. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Here at the DSM Podcast, we, we, we uh, <laughs> not only welcome, but appreciate. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> you, you know, selectively choosing the, the things that stick out to you in the film. Um, I have quite a few. Uh, speaking of inappropriate... <laughs> I knew I should have treated you like a hooker. You ain't nothing but a high price hoe. 
man that me up every time i don't know why that's as funny to me as it is but oh it's hilarious oh every i wish I he had it, more to say like girl if you don't get your ass down like but that was I the beginning of a read like it should have it should have went down right <laughs> like she should have felt embarrassed that's what i wanted but hey you know almost looked like she was like, yeah, you, you kind of right. And the hand right. of She like, duh, yes. Duh. Anyway, I'm gonna keep for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then Pookie with his... Should this be calling me, man? Be calling me, man. I just gotta go to him. Do you help, man? <laughs> I felt a way about that. I felt a way about that because you see it so much and like other reference so much. And I'm like, oh, that's that's not funny. But that's I, funny. But it's not funny. I think it's I know. because it's Chris Rock, it's funny. Yeah. I think if they had just got a regular actor, we would be very much like, oh, Pookie was really struggling with addiction. And it's mm-hmm. to the point where it's calling him. But it's Chris Rock. So it just keeps calling me, man. <laughs> I, I, I know because even when he was about to die, he was like, Scotty, help me. I'm going to die. Like, I'm the- the way his voice is, it's like hilarious. When I when I heard his voice when he said that, I instantly saw the zebra from Madagascar. Like, oh, oh. yeah, bro, zebra, zebra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, a little bit more sad one. Am I my brother's keeper? Mm. He ain't have to do Jimmy. Yes, he did. That's how it goes. He told him he was going to do it, though. He did. He told he's, he did. I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going and to I'm kill you. I'm going to kill you. I, I, with that warning, I would go check Scotty out a little bit more myself. Like, maybe, well, then maybe I need to find out before Nino does. But, you know, he was, we'll, we'll get into that in diagnosis a little bit more. Um, CMB, we all we got. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then the, the one that I didn't like watching it this time, but that I think I've said in general conversations, cancel this bitch. Find up. Oh, I was like, when you really poured the champagne on her. That poured was, the champagne was, on her? You got to pour the champagne. You don't already pushed her on the table. She crying. Man. All of that. Yeah. That's insult injury. I, it, they, yeah, they pulling me away. I'd have spit on them or something. Like, I can't beat you, but you go take this. Okay. You done pour champagne. On my good weave. So this good is 91. Do you know how hard it is to match that color in 91 oh, with that texture? Oh, oh, oh. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Not gonna cancel me and then pour champagne on me. I hate you. <laughs> That's all you got, girl. You better start swinging. Shoot. Mm. I do my shoe or something. Just like gone. Tear you off. Right. Ooh. <laughs> Fucking hella shit. We don't know what we was gonna do. I would, yeah. I, I, I have no idea what I've done had I uh, witnessed someone murder multiple people. <laughs> and then, oh, when you know, she started break the conversation, she was really tough. She was. And then she recognized who she was talking to, and that she had seen him kill multiple. I think it started playing in her head that she had seen him kill multiple people. And then she was like, mm, yeah, I hate you. I'm gonna go, but I hate you. <laughs> Right. The fact that he picked up a child to be his shield I says a lot to me. That. I'm like, okay, was he moving her? Oh, he was not moving her. He was mm. As a child, I thought he was moving her until Ice T said that he used her as a human shield. And then like and then I'm it was like, like he really oh, did. He, yeah. Ah. 
you know, so I always put this in perspective and it, because I just show my age, I don't care who cares. This came out 91. Let me tell you what I thought as a child watching this movie when they had it on the white table, the the vials of, of crack. Mm-hmm. And everybody had their titties out. Everybody had. I was just so in love with the colors. Like, candy. It's wow. Ca- Everything was candy back then. Wow. I had issues. I thought clouds were cotton candy for a while. I did. So, yeah. I don't think you should tell nobody else that. I think you should leave it here and then never mention it again. Uh, Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's here. It's going to be out there forever. Yeah. (laughs) For what it's worth, I'm not judging. (laughs) Which also makes it even more sad, though, that there were the empty crack vials than at the playground if kids look at it and think of it as candy. And then there's so many vials just at the playground. I, it was so normal. Like I, it wasn't until I sat down and watched this movie from this perspective, and I was like, there were times that I had paraphernalia around me and did not realize, like, oh wow, you know, um, I would see it in the in the stairwells. We would see it, like you said, at the playground. I remember being in one of my foster homes, and there w- it was a little dime bag of marijuana and it had the green leaves on it the green uh marijuana leaves on it and i remember as a kid i don't know how i got it but i was just trying my best to figure out what can go in here that's little enough y'all jesus i should just i I do have a therapist you know but we don't talk about these things i have other things to talk about but i'm gonna write that down as something to talk about I think, and Rosie, you judge me a lot for uh, my watching these movies at such a young age, but I think this, watching these films at such a young age, I really understood all of the things that I was seeing and the things that were going on around me. And it very much so made it like, oh, drugs are bad. Drugs are not for me. I don't want to do drugs. I've seen these mm-hmm. movies. I see what happens. And I don't know if the adults around me, like, took that perspective because like one time my I was helping my grandmother in the yard and she taught me like what weeds were and so um I'm walking you know with my mom and I pick up a weed mm-hmm. because it's growing where it shouldn't which is what weed actually is and then mm-hmm. so I pick it up and I'm like oh my lucky weed and my mom definitely thought that I was talking about marijuana weed and then we had to have a conversation I, I was going to be like girl you are so late you are so late <laughs> You are so late. But she'll probably hear this. So, hey, mom, you was late. And that's not what I was talking about. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I I love that they had this innocent moment with the kids. And we say yes to education. We say yes to shit that rise with education. I can't remember what else they said. And no to drugs or something. Mm. It was a positive message in there. I said, okay. And then they were playing in crack files. Um, But anywho. Watching this movie now as an adult, were there any other things that stuck out to you? <laughs> Quite a bit. The first thing I noticed, there was some colorism tones in there. Girl, let's talk about it. So it could just be casting, but mm-hmm. I don't think stuff like that happens accidentally. But thinking about the Nino Brown character being the lovely brown skin. Oh my God. Ain't he beautiful? Oh, he's so fine. That is a pretty man. He's so. Mm -hmm. I just want to look at his his eyes. They're like looking into like a fawn's eyes. They just. Oh, he's so fine. That that blue suit with no shirt. (laughs) Oh, and when they was playing basketball, shirtless. Mm. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, no, that's uh, yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> but they had his brown skin depicted as the evil kind of antagonist character and the very mm -hmm. light skin iced tea as the protagonist. Oh yes. So I was like, hmm. And then I noticed it again with um Uniqua and what was Selena? Selena. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Unique Whoop, the brown-skinned woman, was salacious and flirtatious and all of these other kind of Jezebel-ass mm -hmm. characteristics. And Selena was the wholesome, how could you do this? I'm so hurt. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. light-skinned woman. So I said, hmm. I don't know if this is just like the 90s thing because you see that in a lot is of Is it wholesome, though? Because she definitely was married to a drug dealer. And that's fair. I mean, not the whole time. It sounded like she kind of, you know, tried to bring him up in a different, you know, like... Okay, never mind. You said, I mean, you gave me some books to read. Yeah. <laughs> you know who the fuck I was? Like, it was, it was very much like that. But I viewed it, maybe it's because of my own light bright bias, being high yellow myself, of like, but she wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. she, have, she couldn't have kids. She couldn't have kids. So she is yeah. like, oh. you can, you could be cute, but uh, a man's gaze is going to go to something else. And I was like, so this woman is more attractive in her more tantalizing, less hoish, just more tantalizing in her appearance. I don't know, but it definitely was hoish because you was fucking brother. So that's, that's right. kind of. But you know. I get, I also agree with, with Jessica too in that like just the depiction of the characters and yes. light skin versus dark skin, even just even having a white man you know, as well as a person, like he would, he would say things at times that was like, really dude? Like, this you about okay. the police officer? Um, right. Nick. Who I felt like they were like, we refused. I feel like the writers <laughs> were trying to make up for that. And so now that I sit with it, yes, I fully agree with your, your light skin, dark skin trope with uh, the women as well. Mm -hmm. And I think I need to, with my therapist, go work through my own, uh, you know, shit. Uh, with, with, you know, about to be enough. But anyway, I think that for the writers, they were trying to balance. Like, you know how certain movies don't. Uh, we talked about this before, uh, Dr. Rosie, with them feeling like there needs to be white characters in movies for Black movies to get made. We had that problem, or mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy experienced that problem when trying to put out the films that he did, so he would just randomly throw white characters in there, which it feels like is what this film tried to do by having Nick Peretti in there. And then he, but because they refused to have that like white uh, cop trope where it's the white officer that is gung-ho about the case and then saves the day, like they gave us nothing as far as like character development for him all that we know about him is just that he is in recovery himself but aside from that we we know nothing about this man he uh -huh. has no arch no nothing <laughs> yeah. i found him really really cringy and it felt like his character was forced mm -hmm. and confusing mm -hmm. like why, why are you shooting in the apartment like that's there's a target on the wall but I'm, I'm certain that's not what it's for now there's light coming through and and now outside is inside, sir. What what are you doing? And this is this <laughs> like, like, is this the rental? And I'm okay. 
just just annoying. I I did not care for him <laughs> at all. Um, and if we're talking about diagnosis and how we don't know anything about this man, I listed him just as unknown substance related disorder and sustained remission because we don't even know what he was addicted to. All we know is that he felt like I used to be Pookie. Um, so I, we don't know what that means. We don't know if he's still in NA. Uh, clearly, he would make a terrible sponsor because he's not always available. You can't like leave a stakeout to go help someone not use. But it just we we know nothing about this man. Sorry to that man. Yeah, I mean, he did. He tried. I mean, he was he was an did outsider. He? <laughs> he was a he was a misfit, and so I think that's why he was a good fit for Scotty. You know, Maybe to these two uh, misfits, which I don't understand why they do that. But to cops, <laughs> like I don't work well in teams or with others, and then now you put these two terrible people together to work as a team. Got it. So yeah, that I guess I guess that's a cinematic type of thing, but it I didn't Mario like, Van People's logic. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> Where right. this is also his uh, cinematic directing debut in following yes. the footsteps of his father, uh, Melvin Van Peebles, the legend, the icon. Look him up if you don't know. Um, and but this was uh, his first Mario's first directing uh, debut where he also had to star in it because that's you know how they do as a family. That's how the Van Peebles roll. Um, but it was his logic to to put them together. And even while he was explaining it, I was like, yeah, no, this. Hmm. But we need new Jack cops for the new Jack city. Right. <laughs> and then he was surprised when the whole thing kind of fell apart. When it, yeah. Uh, right. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> the fact that they even thought that having Pookie as an informant was going to be like, like Mario didn't. He didn't. Stone said, I I gambled on you and you gambled on a crackhead. Indeed. That's a, that, yeah, (laughs) that is very factual and actual. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much the basis of the story. (laughs) We gambled on a crackhead. We lost. Mm -mm. And that's that. Mm-hmm. Beaten. Beaten. Right. Okay. Sex, okay. <laughs> Used to be proud queen, now you're just prompting. Give me that, take it. <laughs> oh, the fact that he was beating that lady up for some turkey. I said, if you don't stop, come on. I thought we were. She should have Chris Rock's little ass. <laughs> she was scared. She was holding on to the turkey leg. Like, it was a turkey oh, yeah, leg. See, that's what it was. She she only had one hand because the no. other hand was on the turkey. No, that's my turkey leg. Like, you know. That's with her tutu. Why does she have on a tutu? <laughs> she wanted to be a cute crackhead, okay? Out of all things, she wanted to be cute. Now, get into this. Prom queen. Maybe it was the prom dress. Maybe it was the prom dress. <gasps> it was the prom dress and it got ripped up so it looked like tutu. <gasps> you need to let that dream go. You had that nightmare. Let that go. Take that dress off. You know what? Okay. In all seriousness, um, looking at that just was another reminder of like how crack could make someone who was like doing so well just fall from grace, if you will, and just like this basic person or not even a basic person, just this zombie of a person, a shell of themselves and like this environment was really sad. And, you know, I know that this this story is actually based off of like the real brothers who like a gang in Detroit um, and they did something similar. Um, it's, the, it's called the, cha- they were called the Chamber uh, Brothers. 
the four brothers who sold crack in Detroit and they did have a building like the Carter, but it wasn't the same like concept. And they had it so that when they, they would sell different drugs at a, on different floors and right next to people who were residents of that building. And it was either like you stay like um, Nino kind of said it. It's either they stay in and they deal with all, all the, the bullshit that comes with it or they leave and they get out. And it was just it's unfortunate the things that people had to deal with in these projects, you know, basically having to fight for their lives just to to stay in the space that they they rented and owned in some aspects. Right. But yeah, just crack the crack epidemic just did so much, so much. Yeah, it was a, the story is a, uh, from the writers an amalgamation of the, the Chamber Brothers and Young Boys Inc. Young Boys Inc. Mm hmm. Okay. It's another organization. Also, like, this is one of the few, like, crack epidemic films, though. And I guess because it mm -hmm. is in New York and not West Coast based, where it doesn't also, like, highlight the fact that this was the entire crack epidemic. It was caused by the U.S. government and they basically did this to us and it was a strategic plan. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're going to make sure that we mention it here today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I love the little monologue um, that Nino goes into and saying, I'm not guilty, you know, and he just kind of introduces this idea that this is bigger than him. And it's he bigger than Nino Brown. It, and he was correct, right? Now, yeah. <laughs> because no brothers own no ships. <laughs> okay. I go down, I'm taking a lot of people with me. And that's the I'm problem. sorry, I got caught up. <laughs> no, it's okay, because I needed that, right? To let people know what, what I'm talking about in regards to how he tried to flip the script and taking responsibility, but he was actually very, he was actually, you know, telling the truth and that it is bigger than him. He couldn't have done all this by himself. There were people who were able to supply him with the things he needed, including the guns and the drugs. So. And yeah, he did try to lie and put it on Kareem. We're not going to gloss over that. But I think that if with diagnosing Nino and like looking at possible treatment, I don't think I could handle Nino Brown being my client for two reasons. One, I don't feel like I'm skilled enough yet for him <laughs> to be my client. And I feel like the reason of me not feeling skilled enough is because I would not see the things that he was doing as pathological, I think, as another clinician would, because I would view this as this is what you this is who you have to be to be successful in the occupational realm that you are in. Like the decisions that you are making, if someone brings a uh, 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 police into your organization, you have to kill the police and you have to kill the person that brought them like th that's yes. That, that's what you have to do. Like, there are certain things where I would just be like, if you're trying to be successful in, in you know, drug dealing, there's a certain level of, there is a lack of empathy that has to occur because if you really take in all of the things that you are doing and how it's impacting others, you, you'll go crazy. So I don't, I don't know if I could, I don't, ah, I know that sounds terrible, but I would be like, and most importantly, he's fine. I don't know if I'd be able to get past. I'd be looking to his eyes like he was Prince and I would be like mesmerized that wouldn't be able to concentrate. And so just um, for those reasons, I don't think that he could be my client. Um, but I, I guess if I had to diagnose him for purpose of this being the Diagnosing Sitcoms and Movies podcast, I would look at both um, antisocial and narcissistic personality disorders. Uh, but I'm interested to hear what, what you ladies think. Jessica, go ahead. go ahead. No, I said the same because initially I was like narcissistic personality disorder. Absolutely. And looking <laughs> at um, 
selling drugs since he was 12. Killed a random woman while he was high on... That was for a gang initiation. He had to kill someone. He had to get high in order to be able to cope with killing someone. See, this is why I couldn't be his therapist because I'm, I'm, you know, rationalizing his Mm -hmm. deviant behaviors. Yeah, Yeah, but all of those things, I'm like, pervasive disregard for other people's rights. Mm -hmm. Exploitation, impulsivity. Mm -hmm. That sounds more APD or antisocial personality disorder to me. Absolutely. I, I, I threw out narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder um, well into the movie <laughs> um, because I just saw how he interacted with people and had no, like he had a, a complete disregard for people, um, especially um what is his name? I'm forgetting his name now. G Money. G Money. It, it's hilarious to me. Not with how much you love Alan Payne. You forgot okay. his name was G Money. Because I, I was going to say Alan Payne, and I'm trying to stay with the characters. Okay. Okay. G Money okay. hopped into that Wrangler, and the way he left that basketball, I was like, wait, he left that like real quick. Like, how he get there in there in the back seat that fast? But anyway, <clears throat> it's um. <laughs> was like oh okay um (laughs) and he was just like you know enjoying himself enjoying life being just you know active and and he just made it just twisted it like oh you got now we making money you don't got time to be on these courts playing game and then it's just like all right calm down like i'm just having a good time like geez um so it was i was like it's the money that's driving him crazy most people can't handle having that much money it does do something to you i do believe that in order for you to be this type of person in order for you to be a kingpin a pimp uh a serial killer you have to have some of these a drug dealer to a serial killer i think well, maybe okay. You say there kingpin. are you traits. Say kingpin. I take it away. I take kingpin. it away. You say kingpin. You didn't say yes. drug dealer. You say kingpin. I didn't. Okay, I'll yeah. That. Because there's a difference. Because the kingpin does have to do more than just selling loads. It's large, you know, and then killing people. It, the kingpin. And so, um, I think that there's a type of personality that you have to have to be able to just like not have any remorse. For what you're doing and how you're interacting in the, in that in those situations across the board, so that's why I feel I I grouped him in there, and he he doesn't he doesn't he shot his brother he cried, and, he, and then he was watching TV the next day he cried he, he cried yeah that was what that was what did it for me it was you well, and, and you went and got her like of all the women that you could go get right now you went and got her and but I mean, yes. maybe she does certain certain things where he was like you know what i am really stressed and i am really tight i just had to murder my brother i need to, i need some form of release and i know that this 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 young lady right here she does that one little special thing that i like and i can't i don't know where else i could get that right mm. now at this moment so i would just call her um but <laughs> one thing I did want to highlight is that individuals with antisocial and narcissistic personality disorders share a tendency to be tough-minded, 
glib, superficial, exploitive, and unempathetic, which I thought were the basic characteristics mm -hmm. of the character, definitely. And I was more so just focused on the antisocial with the, the crime elements at first. But then once it came to how, like you guys pointed out, how he was treating G-Money is where I brought in the narcissistic personality, like where he, it, they watch his Scarface and he's like, the world is mine. And G-Money's like, hey, mm -hmm. don't forget the brothers. It's, it's, it's CMB. The B is important. And mm -hmm. he's like, all oh, mine. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. It's it's just you. You feel like you need the recognition. And even when he is on the phone with the Italian dude, he's like, I built this. I did all of this. Not, you know, mm -hmm. my team, not we, not looking at it as CMB and the things that he did with his crew that he started out with from the very beginning, it very much so became a me situation. And so I conceded and went ahead and did the right clinical thing and gave him the personality disorders, even though I feel like this is it's a it's a it's an occupational character. Well. <laughs> That's it. I, love it. I had questions. I'm like, I need to know more backstory. Like, I feel mm. like something traumatic that happened in a childhood. Like, where were where were the parents when he was doing all of this? Like, what I mean, I work. <laughs> I mean, they grew up whole, so they might have been at work. <laughs> you know, the saying monsters aren't born, they're made, like created. I'm like, okay, there has to be something that happened for him to go down this pathway and develop in the way that he did. I think killing a woman at a young, tender age might do that to you. I think he was wild before that, though. I think that I think was he like, might have been wild, but I don't think he was that like he wasn't a killer. Yeah. Like he might not have been to that place yet. And that's why he had to get super high on the dust in order for him to be able to go do it. Like and I feel I, like he was probably like a badass wild kid, the kid that you don't want your kids playing yeah. with outside, all of that. And then the gang culture brought him up and raised him into being what he was to that point and then him also being an older brother trying to take that into account and feeling like he probably has to protect and lead the way for his brother he probably felt like he had to do more be the biggest be the baddest be the toughest so yeah. that he could be in that leadership role not just for himself and the gang but also for his younger brother i wonder if that's early substances had something to do with it too. i'm sure i was you thinking know, it's not thing. helping with his development <laughs> <laughs> right, because um, I'm wondering, because that was another diagnosis that I was toying around with, too, because he loved him some champagne. And I mean, he was greeted at the club with a bottle of champagne and a straw. I've always wanted that. I For my next birthday, that's what I want. That's I how want, you want uh, I want a bottle and I want a crazy straw. I don't even Noted. drink that much, but it looks so cool. I'm sorry. I loved Nino Brown the whole first half of the movie. Everything yeah. he did was amazing. And even the, <laughs> the, the dancing that he was doing in the club, I loved it all. Like and that? Okay. Yep, it was. Uh, I want to be welcomed into the door, um, just just like that. Yeah, I, I figured the first thought that came in was, "Wow, he's gonna have a lot of gas with the bubbles and the straw." I just didn't know. Uh, I was concerned. So, <laughs> but I did also figure that there has to be some type of substance use. What would you think, Jessica, as far as like alcohol use disorder, or do you think it like something else? I, I think it's possible. I noticed after he uh, things started to fall apart, we saw him drinking a lot more and looking distressed as he was drinking. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, open with alcohol. So we know the brain's not fully developed. At least the prefrontal cortex doesn't finish developing until we're about 25. Mm -hmm. So from zero to 25, so many different things can change the course of our development. Psychoactive substances being one of those really big things. 
Mm-hmm. To the extent that a lot of mental health conditions, like certain drugs can speed up the age of onset. Or like cannabis, for example, can increase the likelihood of experiencing a psychotic episode. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe something with the angel dust did a little something extra. Just to do it to you. Wait, you know. did I miss that? He did angel dust? I when he was said, young, that's when he's on the roof and he's explaining to Ice Cube. I mean, oh, I see how he killed his right. mom. He's like, I got wild dusted, got high, real high on angel dust, and then didn't stay to watch the body drop. I completely met. I thought he was talking about weed. <laughs> I mean, mm, Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Consumed mm-hmm. the same way, but but then he also some extra. And then, but didn't the Dutta man mention that um, that they don't do? Mm-hmm. That's the rule. What was it? Mm-hmm. Was it that they don't do cocaine or that they don't do like? Um. You the Dutta man stuttered, so I'm not exactly sure what the exact um, quote okay, was that he said. Don't get high. Uh, <laughs> on stuff. Don't get high on their own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, so, but they were, at the time, before G-Money introduced crack, they were selling cocaine. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. But it was okay to do angel dust. It just wasn't okay to do cocaine because that's what we're selling. He also wasn't selling drugs at that point in time. He was a child. Well, he doesn't say that he's selling drugs at that point in time. He just says that he's involved with a gang. Got it. All right. All right. Maybe I read into it too much, but I do think there is like maybe an unspecified use disorder. No, you can't no, we, prove we're it. Gonna... No, you can't prove it. You cannot. You mm-hmm. cannot tell me that Nino was getting high at that point, and um, I will not accept anything otherwise without uh, concrete evidence. I hate to tell you this, but he's not your client. You've already said that. Exactly. Yeah. So even more so, reason why you cannot prove to me that he was getting high without no real evidence. What'd you say, Jessica? Maybe some alcohol misuse. Okay. Okay. Um, I will give you alcohol misuse. Yes. All right. Misuse of alcohol or just, uh, it was often also used during celebratory uh, instances. So that is the purpose of uh, champagne as it is marketed. But, you know, whatever. We want to talk about somebody using, they ain't supposed to be using. Let's talk about uh, G-Money stimulant use. Mild crack cocaine. Yeah, you're right. Current. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not current because him, him dead. Yeah, the prognosis is terrible for a lot of these people because most of them are dead. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But G-Money, yes. I diagnosed him stimulant use disorder, mild crack cocaine. I did the same. And I had a question mark. I'm like, I wonder if there's some type of depressive disorder there because mm. he would always look really deflated in moments and I'm like mm, I wonder if that substance use is coping with the depressive symptoms I if G money was at one in any point my client before you know his untimely demise I would want to look at some of that birth order stuff because that is when they are on the roof and he and, and Nino is like, yo, what's going on with you? And and G-Money is finally like really starts crying and breaks down and even tries to hug his brother and Nino pulls away. He's like, you humiliated me. You treated me like I was spineless. Like, and it was a lot of G-Money wanting to enjoy the fruits of the labor with Nino alongside of him as brothers, wanting to do that together. And it was a lot of Nino pulling away, taking it himself, 
doing it on his own, making others around him feel bad, like being being ugly towards the team where, where it seems like G Money was all about the family aspect of it, them all doing things together. And I felt like Nina was taking that away from him. And so I kind of attributed a lot of the deflated pre- uh, presentation as that. But now that you bring up depression, it is something I definitely would um, would definitely like to assess further if, you know, he won't date. I wonder if we could consider adjustment disorder with depressive mood because he's having to adjust to the growth of the business and just the dynamics and how everything is changing. So it was once this family oriented type of business where we cared about each other. We had everybody's best interest at heart. And now he's adjusting to this new way of, of working with Nino and it, it very it's starting to seem very much like it's all about him and pleasing him. And he's having issues with where he fits in and whether or not he's actually um, someone who has some type of authoritative type of um, role, because I feel like he got involved with the undercover cops and, you know, doing some side stuff because he wanted to feel like he had some say so and not it just being completely, Nino. know, Definitely. And two, I think something that I didn't pay attention to until watching the movie again this time was the the time lapse that the film actually is supposed to occur between. Like this is over a span of years yeah. and that it's not just boom, 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 boom. Like the the quick montage of like, you know, getting fitted for his suit, them doing the different things, the business growing. I I don't know why I always just looked at it as, oh, this is just their, this is a look, a glimpse into their day to day. But no, this is supposed to be a time lapse because it even shows like, oh, this is now 1989 at the beginning where I forget what it started, what year they started, but it is a, a, a mm-hmm. expanse, a span rather of time as opposed to this is just yeah a little bit I- of time that this happens in between. I agree because even one thing that stood out to me were the singers in front of the Carter. In the beginning, when they're singing, it's in the summer. You see the man scraping the eyes and and the group size is actually significantly more than what it is in the winter when there's only three. No, I thought it was it's, no, it's first singing by the fire. And first it's troop and then it's Levert. Oh, it is Levert. I noticed Levert. I'm like, okay, maybe this is like the older version of them, but it was two different. <laughs> it was two different groups. First, I'm like, oh my god, first it's Troop, and then it's Levert because if you the soundtrack actually that version of the song with Queen Latifah is on the soundtrack, and it has, has True Queen Latifah and Levert uh, all yeah, on the song, true. and so they uh, Troop is singing their part of the song at the beginning, and then the and end then it's is Levert in their part. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. There's still a transition in season. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, you see, you know, what it looked like when at first before, like, you know, they started to infiltrate, you know, the building and then what it looks like at the end when everything is kind of complete and they've been operating for a while, apparently. It go from the lady looking out her window with flowers to like looking like Armageddon. Oh, my God. (laughs) For real. I'm like, where did y'all even find this steel door? And then these library cards. There's so many questions that I have about this system. Like a blockbuster. Can... <laughs> it was really high tech. Right? They were ahead of their time. Kareem was doing his motherfucking thing, okay? Kareem was over all of the technology and all of, all of that. And you know what? 
had Kareem been given the positions of power as he should, but I, which I feel that he was probably held back by systemic oppression and racism within the banking system. And he was just working at some low level job. Look at all the things that he could do when given a space opportunity and resources. Like, but unfortunately, these are the places where some people have to find their opportunities. It's all a conspiracy by demand to keep us oppressed. And when you give us things, look at what we can create. Now, if you only allowed us into systems that work for good, imagine what we could do. <sighs> I'm sorry. I have a question. <laughs> so with Kareem's uh, problems related to employment, his Z code that I gave him, um, after he was stabbed in the hand, do y'all feel like he should have stayed with CMB, like to prove that he ain't no punk and like he can handle like the fact that he got stabbed and, and keep going? Or do you feel like he should have left the business and or CMB in general because like you stabbed me in my hand, like I'm not going to tolerate being stabbed during a, a, a staff meeting? I kind of feel like he knows what he signed up for, though. Like, just the nature of the organization. I can't say that if I was him, I would be surprised. I'd be annoyed. But is that really enough? Like, he's witnessed people murdered. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. But you you, you stabbed me in the hand. It wasn't my fault. You was mad at G-Money. But I guess I handpicked Pookie, so you stabbed me in the hand. Very Hannibal uh, of the situation. But, you know... I get it. It's just my concern is that now, like you, so Kareem, you stayed, and now you facing the RICO charge because Nino is now pinpointing you, naming you as the the leader of the CMB organization. So, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, he never liked his pretty ass anyway. So, I think he had it coming the whole time. So, that's what he get for being pretty. Don't be pretty, friend. I'm sure that whole family has got the hate. Nino oh, go spit on his grave every Wednesday. Like, who? Mm-hmm. I do think I over-identify with Selena. I have a cousin named Kareem. Mm. It's all coming together. You know what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm working through this in supervision. <laughs> I think that's a good place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I would have to, because this is why Nino could not be my, my client. It all comes back to I could not have Nino as a client. Um, did you guys diagnose Pookie with anything other than stimulant use uh, disorder, severe crack cocaine? I, I thought it was pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Same. He affected by poverty, but outside of that. Mm-hmm. Yep, pretty much. Hold up. And I hate that we don't get more of a backstory for Pookie. Like, did he grow up in poverty? Is this a situation where he lost everything in his family as a result of his use, where they didn't want anything to do with him anymore? So he was on the streets, or and he didn't have. That's why he didn't have any resources to go back to. Or after he got shot in his ankle, because initially he was just robbing people, and he was hiding too, though. He, he was hiding too. Yeah. I figured, I figured so, because that's what the fidgeting was for. That's what the the eye. If you look at his pupils, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, he high right now. Mm. That's why he was running for that long. Like, yeah. you're not catching no crackhead. He had oh, to no. shoot him in order to catch him. Right? That overpass fell and then got up and continued. And then got up and kept running. I said, Mm-mm, ain't no way. Ain't no <laughs> way. But when you on when you on crack, I guess you can do a lot of things. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. It's a hell of a drug. A hell of a drug. Yes. And I, I think that's why it's kind of like an open shut thing, and at least from my perspective with him, just because of the mechanics and how cocaine works. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. it's 
stimulants in general because they tend to have that little shorter window where people actually experience the high people are more prone to use it back to back and that increases the develop or develops the uh dependency physiologically mm -hmm. a little bit faster so i'm like okay with him it makes sense i get it yeah and that was before they started matter of fact he might not have been on crack at that point in time because that was before they started selling crack if we're looking at the the window That's of time true. from the movie so it might have just been cocaine at that time and mm -hmm. why he didn't present in the way that he did later on it was more like he looked it aged, but and that's what crack a little bit different. Crack does, yeah, it ages the, the user as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I I always wondered um, what the the aftermath was for him taking on that role. And one of the things that I found, like, kind of looking over this movie, was was he said that people would put crack in his pocket. Oh no! Um, after this movie, after his role in this movie, assuming that he actually really used cocaine i mean crack yes they would they wanted to support that those terrible terrible people right i, I was like that is terrible like why would people do that so yeah he, he had some moments um and he talks about it in one of his one of his books um but yeah for for several years um drug dealers crack addicts would approach him and put crack and cocaine in his pocket joking that they thought it was a documentary and he stated that in his book, um, Rock This, um, that he wrote in 1997, his memoir in 1997. Yeah. See, that's always been Chris Rock motherfucking problem. Stop letting people walk up on you, Chris. Like, you didn't Ooh. learn from when the people Ooh. was putting stuff in your pocket. Like, Ooh. bruh, stop letting people walk up on you. It's, you should have learned the lesson back then. Damn it. Now. Ooh. That went far. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Well, you know, <laughs> like, why, why is somebody able to slip something in your pocket? Why are you, you letting security? people get that close to you? Yes. Security. Walk up on you. Security, security. Tony, Tony Rock, come get your brother. Like, what are you doing? Why are you letting people all up in his face like that? He is, he had been on Saturday Night Live by then. Like, what the hell? Damn, son. But I will give it to Chris Rock. I think that he acted his ass off in this movie. I think he did oh, he a hell did. of a freaking job. And I think because it's Chris Rock, we look at it as funny. But he, like, the, the acting was great in this movie and I wish that we would mm -hmm. see more like dramatic roles from him because I think he probably could deliver oh yeah definitely I, I think he did an amazing job you know Ice-T was not wanting to take on his role because he wanted to be a little bit more at the time he I think he had an album that was out or I think it was like some of was that the album that came out before this Anyway, so he wanted to continue, like, kind of having his, like, you know, fuck the police type of mentality. Oh, cop um, killer. Cop killer, that's right. Um, so for him to take on this role as a cop killer, I mean, as a cop killer, as a cop, <laughs> he felt that that would kind of, like, you know, damper his little um, image, if you will. But it actually promoted him and made him a lot more... Um, Incredible, and people wanted to have him more in movies. And and now uh, look at the irony of life. That man made a whole career pretending to be a cop. Okay. Okay, Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. Dun, dun. Oh, no. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So did you actually um, diagnose his character, Scotty? Um, Scotty, I looked at unspecified trauma stressor-related disorder because it does seem like he brings up the death and murder of his mother um, a mm -hmm. lot and interacting mm -hmm. with people that are involved with drugs. And it seems like that has kind of 
what is the underlying something of him even entering into the career field that he chose. Um, but I'm not exactly sure like what all criteria that he met. So I would. And I also feel like most police officers, like they see a lot of stuff and a lot of them, because it's on the job, they don't view it as they try not to describe it as traumatic, but there's some of the stuff that they see. I feel like all of them would benefit from regularly like checking in on some of that. Same with counselors. I feel like it should be mandated. Like we have our own therapists, like they need to have therapists too. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but Absolutely. I think if Scotty was my client, um, I definitely would look into doing some EMDR with him. Yeah, I can agree. Um, yeah. I would I would definitely think consider like PTSD. And I know that we're, we're, we haven't talked much about this transition into the new DSM, but I know that they have one for uh, for grief as well. And I feel like he is just still processing his grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be something that I would talk about with him, especially like grief counseling uh, for him. Prolonged fact, bereavement. Prolonged bereavement. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I. I'm kind of at a toss up on which one would come first, whether it would be PTSD or depression, because then perhaps the PTSD is what causes the depression. Um, So I'm kind of on the fence with which one I would go with first. What do you think, Jessica? I was thinking I had a question mark around PTSD because I'm like his just general presentation, his affect is really restricted. Like we don't see a lot of Mm -hmm. emotional range from him outside of just kind of blah and then explosive mm-hmm. but I'm like okay I could see some emotional detachment maybe that being like an avoidance aspect mm. yeah burying himself in the work because we really don't learn much about him outside of the trauma with his mother right mm-hmm. police officer right that's true and then we also don't know like what's his relationship with family so um what happened you know like were there siblings where his dad um we don't have that information so yeah that's interesting he's a mystery for me (laughs) question mark we need further assessment for for scotty but he and he's such a more right he's such a prominent character too though so it's just like man is that us or is it the writers? No, I think that's part of like <laughs> what his his presentation is is part of what makes his character is that he is so restricted. He is like um, Jessica said, throwing himself into the work. It's all about doing that to avoid having mm-hmm. to to really live and exist in life in another way. And I also think that that is part of the job with being undercover is having too much attachments to other things so that you mm-hmm. can fully engross yourself in who it is that you're supposed to be at that certain time and, and not have um, areas of weakness where someone then can threaten another, a loved one of yours, and then you're compromised because he's yeah. dealing with some very dangerous people. So that might be a, a protection um, that he has established for himself and feeling mm-hmm. like he doesn't want to lose anything again after the loss of his mother. Um, so I think that that's all kind of wrapped up in that it, how that trauma and stressor. If we're just like fully diagnosing, I'm sure they didn't consider that in <laughs> writing his character. No, I, absolutely. <laughs> right. Like who cares about mental health when they're writing these things, right? Um, (laughs) base these characters a lot of the time off of mental health diagnoses I think so too especially because they are looking at like basing them in real in tying them to realistic people Mm 
And so mm-hmm. because real people come with real issues, anytime mm-hmm. that you are really trying to mirror something off of, you know, situations that have happened, have taken place, normal occurrences of how bl- police officers interact, how they structure their lives, how they function, you're creating, you're following a trope that has been created by the existence of people. And so mm-hmm. it's it's ingrained in mental health, whether that is your intention or not whether you choose to recognize it or not, but there are reasons that these people interact in such a stereotypical manner. It's because this is how they are compensating for the things that they're experiencing. I suppose. But then it also makes me feel like some of these diagnoses definitely don't usually, especially at that time, don't take into cultural considerations as well, which is why with the current one... Child of a bill! <laughs> Right. I mean, but even the current one is trying to adjust for those cultural and using more cultural sensitive uh, (laughs) wording. The status of mental health, the structure, theories of therapy, the DSM is Mm -hmm. all of your centric lens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Does not take into consideration. Kind of like Courtney was talking about, you know, a lot of the ways in which Nina was functioning. He kind of had to because of the environment, because of the nature of the work. And he was probably in that nature of work because socioeconomic factors mm-hmm. and everything that he did was probably really normative mm-hmm. for that time period, for that a- area that he was in. But, you know, from a clinical perspective, you see if that's our personality. I mean, this is probably still there. I mean, it, it, but it, 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 it probably it, still is. But it's all influenced. <laughs> it, it, it has an arena for it to play out in such a severe exactly. way because of the societal structures that are in place that 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 were in front of him where it where else could Nino Brown exist and be a successful individual where else can they take over an entire project building you mm-hmm. know I'm just like hey ain't nobody gonna say nothing, nothing? and operate I mean, for that long well I mean if I was outside of, of my residence and I see my landlord butt-ass naked at gunpoint, I think I I probably either shut up or move out, ship out. You know what I mean? I like, think I would have been in the uh the the house, the municipal housing office the next day, like, um, do y'all have any other properties that I can go to? Like I know I'm fully aware that I'm in the projects and I am at the whim of this of this mm-hmm. societal structure that exists here as far as housing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but uh can I go somewhere else? Is there a possibility? You know, got to open it. The, the structure, because the projects weren't always like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, community housing wasn't always like that. But when they started to change the physical structure of it, putting bars and gates and all those other things that and building up as opposed for. to out to separate mm-hmm. people from the earth and their yeah. humanity. Yeah, there's a there's a lot. Um, the the actual um, conditioning that they actually help people go through not helped but had people go through with the especially in New York when we have like certain door like the door slam and when you hear it it's it's equivalent to like a jail cell slamming you know when you look at the concrete walls and the the tiling on the floor it all mirrors what jail looks like even even our schools even our public schools kind of have similar types of structures that it almost makes you feel like you're actually, yeah, you're institutionalized without even realizing it. But then here in Chicago, I remember the um, high school that I graduated from had metal detectors at the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and you think about just geographically, because all of that pays, 
plays a role in how people behave in their environment. Mm -hmm. You go to certain areas within Chicago and see litter, paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. decrepit buildings and all kinds of things where you Mm -hmm. drive a little further north or a little further, you know, east. And it doesn't look like that. Like the problems there wouldn't exist because the city takes better care of certain areas. Absolutely. So it's race, socioeconomic status and and all of this stuff. And that's that's one thing that stood out for me in the movie. I'm like, this really just highlights how little this country has cared about poor black and brown people. For all of this stuff to happen. Yeah. And there's two cops, two police officers who have they put the misfits on who have tax. gone rogue. I, by the end the, the police department wasn't even behind them no more. They was doing this on their own. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. All right. Yeah, uh, it's all structural. It's all um, intentional. It's all on purpose. There's no there's um, no ways around that. Uh, I did. I think I have been interested in Wesley Snipes. Uh, like when he does interviews and people are like, man, New Jack City. Like, I don't know if he likes this film anymore. Like, I think it was definitely uh, proposed to him as being like the Black Godfather. And if you look at even some of the ways that Mario shot some of the scenes, you can definitely mm-hmm. see like that that was the intention. And the fact that I don't think it came across in that way, that it was just labeled like a, a Black hood classic. I don't think that Wesley appreciates that. I don't feel like, I feel like maybe he feels that the movie was categorized in a way that he's unhappy with. That it maybe it's not getting his just due. And so now he just doesn't appreciate being tied to the film in the same way because even with the revival of the not revival but the stage play that they are doing um with where Mm -hmm. alan payne is still playing g money but tretch is playing nino brown and it sounds Mm -hmm. like maybe wesley was like yeah no i'm not doing that but maybe his schedule you know wouldn't permit he's he's wesley snipes so who knows but i wonder if he just doesn't like the film in that way anymore i think it, it kind of got some bad um you know it got some bad attention especially with the media um because you know of the rioting that happened um around this time especially for um rodney king's beating and so um it, it there were a lot of theaters who actually pulled the movie after a while too because they said it was inciting some type of propaganda agenda to help oh, people the truth. feel basically mm. um and so i i also wonder if that may have had played a role in it and and him feeling like you know it it, ha- it received this negative media attention but it was so necessary for for people to see this and to it maybe the storyline i don't you know i don't even know if the storyline could could be any different especially for that era and time so i think it might just be the fact that you know looking back at it and seeing some of the the things that were portrayed maybe it's just not his his the highlight of his career for him i wish we could talk to the to the actors and actresses in these movies and get there one day you know do the podcast blow up or whatever we can have them <laughs> i come back when Lexi Snipes is here yeah, yeah a girl who <laughs> i'm gonna be like hey call me you know i just want to talk to you real quick <laughs> i want to learn martial arts I need a bodyguard for someone to guard my body. (laughs) Help. (laughs) 
look like a master to me. Anyway, um, <laughs> I just felt like Nettie from The Color Purple was working real hard to get into the shot in the courtroom when they were sitting there. She was like, why is you, she like leaning forward? Like she's right in between the two actors, like looking back and forth and they dialogue like Nettie, sit back, sit back. I had completely missed that. Mm, yeah, watch the scene, the courtroom scene again. That is Nettie from The Color Purple being all in the camera. Following the dialogue between the two people. Like, man, you're supposed to be in the background. Cut it out. <laughs> I'm going to be seen today. <laughs> I love it. This so, was one to watch and try to diagnose. It was. It was. I, I actually uh, was going to diagnose the Dunham man. <laughs> the fact that that's his name. They rock as hell for that. They, they are, are so wrong. wrong. They, they so, wrong. so wrong. The Dunham man. <laughs> the Dunham man. That's exactly what came into my head when I saw that. I was like, I never picked up on it. And I don't done it all. Okay, anyway. So childhood onset uh fluency disorder. So yeah. I, I looked at that too, and I went with like maybe potentially because it does have create a limitation in his effective communication, whereas mm-hmm. maybe he wouldn't just have been muscle had he been able to express himself more uh, fluently. But my concern was that, and why I kind of didn't lean into it, was that he didn't mm-hmm. have any anxiety, it seems. Well, we they didn't write enough into his character for us to it's see if he, <laughs> if he had any anxiety surrounding, like, uh, speaking or because he and he was around people whom he loved and trusted so we might not see as much um, anxiety about speaking and, and presenting in that way it didn't keep him from when he had something to say he still has something to say but brothers don't 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 get hot like he still was talking so I didn't know <laughs> if there was the um, if it was causing or impairing his functioning enough in other ways just because they could have gave him a, a little bit more to the character do the other man got any kids? Like, I want to know. I do. I thought it was really interesting that for him to be the opening um, character dangling the man off of um, the, the bridge that he also then falls off of um, something. Oh, look at the foreshadowing. I didn't even pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cinematographic lens there. Yeah, I like it. Just yeah. I loved it. I was like, oh, you, I you would think that this show is about movies. Look at you. <laughs> uh, you, you know, <laughs> I'd be trying. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was him. It seemed like he was always the voice of reason. He was. Brothers he don't. Was. When uh, mm-hmm. Nino was about to do something, he was like, no, wait a minute. Don't do that. He Yes. Yeah. I, especially when he was um, choking. Uh, Kareem, right? That's his name. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. He, when he did speak, it was insightful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of was like, eh, I'll let it go. Because he still speaks when he needs to. He just wait until he has something important to say. Because he knows it's going to take a while for it to get out. <laughs> That sounded really bad. I'm sorry to anyone that has a speech impediment. I, I just couldn't find a better way to phrase that. I'm sure there That's is right. one. It just came out really, really bad. I'm sorry. Uh, Keisha. <laughs> I didn't diagnose Keisha. I just want to talk about Keisha because I love Keisha. Keisha did not have to jump out from where she was uh, behind she to shoot. Oh. She could have just shot everyone there with terrible shots. Like the fact that only three people got shot with all them automatic weapons. Like okay. y'all, y'all need some target practice Help as a gang, as an organization. And whew. but um, but she didn't. She didn't have to come from where she was covering to to shoot. She I think that's. Just, 
I think that's why I was so annoyed with the line Rockabye Baby. Like, you didn't have to get get back in the damn car. She, but it was very on par for when she hopped out the back of the Jeep and shot the man in the head in broad daylight. daylight. But that part. Then, it, then it was fitting. Then it was Rockabye Baby. But other than that, like, I just didn't know why she had to die the way they had her die. Because Jeep I mean, Buddy but, but, was the only person also, that shot anyone. But also, why are you going to shoot someone without cover? She just came out. <laughs> like, you're not going to even try to cover? <laughs> this was, yeah. Like, come on. Get it? No. <laughs> not okay. She didn't have to die. Keisha, you didn't have to die. You didn't have to die. But I think that that speaks to, again, with, I don't know if this was on if purposeful, but just the commitment that she had to CMB. Like, we don't see her have any family. We don't see her have anything outside of CMB, any friends outside of CMB. It really looks like this was her family. And so when mm-hmm. you threaten a, a mama bears, I don't know. Our, our, they're not a pride if they're bears. That's lions. Um uh-huh. but that's not just a kid like what is it a colony of bears do bears travel together you know what that's neither here nor there they messed with the wrong one and she felt protective so she said you know what I'm going all out and (sighs) poor Keisha yeah I don't know nothing about bears bro sorry yeah clearly neither do I um We talked a little bit about Selena earlier. I just don't know if I had mentioned that I diagnosed her with a Z code of spouse or partner abuse, psychological confirmed subsequent encounter. Yeah. That like him making fun of the fact that she couldn't have kids, like Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. threatening her, uh, threatening and harming her actual cousin, a person whom she loves. Um, Just, yeah. If you touch me, I, yeah, all of that. Uh, yeah. So while Nino Brown was fine, he couldn't have been my man. That's something I, I noted how they were making fun of the infertility issues. And I've been talking with some colleagues about how a lot of the time, just thinking of people I've worked with, and there's not a lot of conversations about Black women's infertility. No. Mm-mm. Interesting that that came up, and we're still just beginning to have those talks now. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it only came up as a result of them watching uh, Scarface because I don't know if you're aware but Michelle Pfeiffer's character in that movie could not have children and it was part of their uh, issues that they were having as well and it was why part of the the thing of him likening himself to Scarface um, and that she can't have no kids man yeah right which is fucked up I'd have, I'd have left right then like really you gonna tell in front of this hoe <laughs> right not doing but, anything to stop the advances, just, yeah. yeah. It was wrong. It was it was not tasteful at all. But, I mean, that's Nino. But uh, to your point, Jessica, I also agree that um, we don't talk enough about, especially as Black women, we don't talk a lot about pregnancy um, and what that really looks like. Um, and then we don't really hear or I, I have like maybe two people in mind when I think about this, when we talk about IVF, mm-hmm. um, it's not common. And I, I'm wondering if it's not common simply because of like the class, like it's it's expensive. It's not it's cheap, hell. right? Um, for someone to be like, yeah, I'm gonna go do this. And you're like, oh, wow. It's like a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, we, we don't talk about it. And I've been hearing more 
about women going through the process and not having success with it and everything mm-hmm. that comes with that. Yeah. That's it all money and dealt with the stigma that surrounds it oh yeah weird connection between people expecting like it's it's a a stereotype but people expecting black and brown women to be like exceptionally fertile and then when you run into issues with fertility there's this whole thing around it when it's like no that Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely and i'm glad you mentioned that because it is something that that we we're not discussing enough within our community and hopefully this is, you know, a good start, you know, by acknowledging it. And then hopefully as we're going out into our respective fields and, and working with clients, that these are conversations that we're willing to have and open to having with them too. Beautifully said, ladies. Um, allow me to interject with ignorance. Why was the old man's name old man in the film? And why did they give him that stage coat robin ass gun that he had to take down the, the crime boss of New York City? <laughs> it did what it needed to do. <laughs> I was a oh, man. Yeah. I dollar to her. <laughs> like, what? I required in hell. <laughs> <laughs> He was just, he was a little annoying though. Like, but come on now. You're just going to come here just to say something. You ain't going to really do nothing. Come on. And what's he Snipes made fun guy? of him? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, they had to do my dad. But I think it adds to the irony of the police were trying to take down Nino Brown. The Italians were trying to take down Nino Brown. All of these oh, different man. people. And old man was the one that got it done with the stagecoach gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took one bullet. Y'all done wasted all of these motherfucking taxpayer resources on trying to get this man. And y'all done failed. And this old man came with this gun from 1923 mm. and handled it. Done and done. Dun dun it all, dun dun it all. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Do we miss Last question? Did y'all? Mm-hmm. Enjoy, uh, well, I don't think so. I pretty. We talked about everybody, child. <laughs> <laughs> did y'all enjoy watching the movie? Yeah, I, did. I did. I did. It had some cringy points, but for the most part, I'm like, oh, this is kind of nostalgic. Yeah, it was. And that's when I, I realized, damn, Rosie, you was a dumb kid. Wow. I've come a long way, I think. Uh, 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 Jessica, if the, the listeners want to learn more about you or <laughs> the services that you offer, the practice that you engage in, any of those things, if you're selling anything, whatever it is, please tell them how they can find you. Sure. So I actually have a website for my consulting. Um, so I work with organizations, but then I also enjoy providing community education. Mm-hmm. Um, so the website is www.lovebhconsulting.com. Um, on IG, um, counseling with love. It's fairly new ish. Cause I'm trying to be better about the social medias. I know mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And the practice that I work with, who is accepting clients, cultivate your essence. And their website is cultivateyouressence.com. All right. And also, yes, reach out if, if services are needed. Are you in the, offering more so services in the local Chicago area? 
So as of right now, um, all of our clinicians are working uh, virtually. All right. And consulting can be done for anywhere in the area. So in, in the world, child. So if you need some consulting, go mm -hmm. ahead and reach out. <laughs> reach out and touch somebody's hand. Okay. That's, I had to do it. Reach out. Reach out. Because Diana did not like it when Michael tried it, started to oversing her. But as always, <laughs> um, we also want to shout out our sponsor that is Boxed Up. And if you need cameras, if you need equipment, if you want to improve the sound quality uh, and visuals of the content that you create, try Boxed Up. You can visit their website at tryboxedup.com or look at them on social media at tryboxedup. Now, if you would like to support the show to help us get more content out to you all, you can visit our website and follow the support the show link to become a Patreon member or donate on our cash app. Now, we're happy to get the kind of money that jingles, but we'd rather the kind that folds. As always, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the DSM podcast, and you can subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. While you're there, go ahead and leave us a comment because we are counselors and actually care what you have to say. Until next time, y'all. Peace. Okay, bye, you cinephiles. <laughs>